With that, let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15. And I I have a simple, short story to go through, but it's powerful. The title of the message is Satan's Greatest Fear. All right, so this is the month of October. Next week's coming, you know, Halloween. The devil's always trying to scare believers, you know. How many of you would love to find out how can we scare the devil? Okay, you're going to find out something surprising as we get to the very end of the message. Let's bow our heads and pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you for this morning. And Lord, we just want to say thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. Uh, You are alive. You are present. You are among us. You are moving. We see you. We hear you. We feel you. And we see the evidence of that. And yet, at the same time, what an hour of need. What a generation of need. We need you. And I just thank God for all of these on a beautiful, you know, day in the fall of in San Diego of all cities, that they're here. Let it be written, let it be recorded by the angels and known and seen by our Savior and our Father in heaven, that they are sitting in your house, which is a house of prayer for all nations. Now may we hear not only collectively the word to the church, but may we hear that personal word that the Spirit would drop into our heart and and we would hear the Lord say, this is for you. It might be a word or a verse, uh, something said, maybe just a thought that comes into their mind as we go through the word together, a seed planted by the Holy Spirit. But may we hear it. May you be glorified, and may it nourish us and strengthen us for this week to come. And it's in Jesus' mighty, wonderful name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to just read through the first, uh, these verses, uh, verses 21 through 28, then we'll kind of go through them. But here's the story. Matthew 15, 21, then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. When she came, then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. That's an an unusual story. Would you agree? So here's the first uh, life lesson that we pull out of these verses. Number one, Jesus in this story, crosses the borders of Israel to bring the kingdom, now really for the first time, to the world. So Jesus is taking a rare trip outside the land of Israel, and the first place he goes is to what is called the modern country of Lebanon. Now, I want to show you a map here to get an idea of where Jesus went. So 
So obviously Israel is the country outlined here in, in red. Here is Jerusalem down in the south. Galilee is up in the north of Israel. So Jesus went all the way to the, the red northern border, and then he passed into the yellow country is what is today called Lebanon. And the cities he visited are Tyre and Sidon. Now, in the very back, I don't know if you can read Tyre and Sidon, but at least you can see the two red dots. So you see, he didn't just go to the border like here in San Diego. You know, I, I grew up in San Diego and, hey, I'm going to, we go to Tijuana, you go over the border, you have a taco, you come back, I went to Mexico. You know, it's like right on the border. Jesus didn't just go to the border. He went deep into the heart of the country of Lebanon and he did it intentionally. Now, what's interesting is that um, it is worth noting Jesus rarely traveled to non-Jewish areas in his lifetime. In fact, he rarely had conversations with anyone outside of the Jewish community. Jesus sent his early disciples to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, I want to drop in here that this is not some kind of racism or spiritual superiority. I want to, you to understand it in this way. There was a divine order. The reality is that ultimately, we know that by the end of Jesus' three and a half years of ministry, the last thing he said before he was ready to ascend to heaven is to his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. So the, the Word of God, the will of God, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. So that's where it was all headed. But in that, there, there, there was a divine order. Uh, so you can have, you know, three children, but only one of them is the firstborn. The, the second one can come along, but the second one will never be the first one because the first one is the first one. <laughs> so that's what it is. Um, and Romans chapter 116, Paul put the divine order. He said, for I am not ashamed of the good news or the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And he says, to the Jew first, and then also to the Gentile. It's not as in superiority. We're all equal. We're all God's children. Uh, but it is God started with them because they're the first ones who gave the promise. They're the ones who received it. And it was through, you know, the Jewish line of David and Mary was Jewish. And so the salvation of the world came from that original promise. All right. And then it went out to the rest of the world. So Jesus is still in the time where he's doing, he's honoring the firstborn while he's on his way to all the rest of God's children that he had made. But I want you to note this. Um, by addressing Jesus. So here's this woman. So she's non-Jewish. She is from the modern country of Lebanon, areas of Tyre and Sidon. And look how she addresses Jesus. Verse 22, Lord, she addresses him as Lord, son of David. She is claiming he is the Messiah of Israel. Now, let me tell you what that means. Way up there in Tyre and Sidon, she must have known the Hebrew Scriptures had often promised that the blessing of the Messiah will not only touch the Jewish people, but that it will ultimately bring a blessing to all the nations of the whole world, for the, all the world would be blessed from the original guy, Abraham. So in light of that, I want you to look at this verse. Uh, it's Genesis 12, 3. Really, the promise was Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. But I want to focus on the third verse. Uh, 
And so here it is. And this is the Lord God Almighty making the promise of covenant to Abraham. So let's read Genesis 12, 3 out loud together. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So this is God talking to Abraham. That's the guy that started it all 4,000 years ago. And so God made a promise to Abraham. This was the Abrahamic covenant. God, and, and God just said, man, I love you, Abraham. And I, I want to enter into an eternal you know, covenant of relationship with you. And I got all these promises. I'm God. I'm the creator. And I like you. And I love you. I'm going to use you. And through you loving me, following me. And because he believed when God made the promise, Abraham said, okay, I believe it. I receive it. And God reckoned, when he believed it, God reckoned that faith unto Abraham as righteousness. Abraham's faith in believing and receiving God's good promise was the foundation for all the way to when the Messiah comes. Through the Messiah, God says, I love you, I want to forgive you, heal you, give you eternal life. So he became the model for that. And Abraham is called in the book of Genesis, the friend of God. I believe on the, if, if we could find where Abraham was buried the, uh, and the actual epitaph that was there, it would say, Abraham, the friend of God. When God, wanted, when God wants to be your friend, this is what it means to have God, who's all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful, uh, he, he's everything, to be your friend. Here's what God says. Okay, you and me are now friends. So here's what that means. Anybody loves you, encourages you, blesses you, I will bless Anybody curses you, hurts you, tries to harm you, I will curse them. How many want to be God's friend? That's my kind of friendship. I love that. It's very beautiful, very powerful. So here's this woman who has become exposed to the message of the Messiah of Israel, says, Lord, son of David, I want in. I want to be part of the family that's blessed through the faith of Abraham. But I want you to note this. Her faith will later be called by Jesus great. But great faith is not enough. You must have great faith in the right object. A lot of people treat religion as, well, your religion works for you, my religion works for me, you have your truth, I have my truth, but as long as we have great faith, it'll all work out. That's not not the message that Jesus came to bring from heaven. And In fact, in this case, it's not only the right object, it's the right person. And that person is the Savior, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. There are people that will say, well, you know, I kind of believe in nature. Okay, yeah, I love nature and it's beautiful and all of that, but how do you believe in nature when it turns into a hurricane named Michael and slams into your coast and destroys like a bomb went off all these communities? Eh, Maybe, I don't know. So I just, I, I believe I have great faith in humanity. Well, you know, how's that working for you? I mean, every day you read of how people say this, do that. I mean, it's just crazy. No, there's something more important than that. I want to go to uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. This is how the Apostle Paul put it when he wrote to the uh, church in Philippi. Let's read this out loud together. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? 
Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I am the door. I am the gate through me. He said, straight is the gate. Narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. Broad is the road. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, he said. Now, here's what's interesting. If you, if you start and go through the narrow gate, which is a personal relationship through Jesus, then it opens up wide to all of eternity and all God's blessings. But if you try to go the broad path, it will lead to, again, that person of Jesus. You need to know him and be prepared to see him. At that moment, you will stand before him. So I want to go to the next uh, life lesson, again from verse 22. What did, so when she comes to Jesus, she's at the right place. She's at the door. What did she do? When, and she's in deep trouble. I wonder if there's a mom here and who has a child, and you're in, they're in deep trouble, or maybe a, a father that is here, or a friend. And what do I do? Where do I go? You're in deep trouble. Cry out for mercy. That's what this woman did. Oh, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. You always want to go before God and ask for mercy. Because here's what you do not want to do. Do not go into heaven and pray, God, give me what I deserve. (laughs) That's a bad way to pray. We don't earn anything. Nobody can measure up and say, God, you owe me. God owes us nothing. But mercy mercy is God not giving us what we actually deserve. Lord, I need your mercy. I need your help. I need your presence. My daughter is suffering so this woman uh, was from an area now, the Tyre and Sidon at the, this particular time was a poor and oppressed region. They have long ago lost their military power, their political power, and their pagan and religious systems have failed them. And they are weak. They have little influence in the world at that time. She represents a class of those without hope, having no promise and without God in this world. Paul the Apostle said, and of such were some of you. He is writing to the early church. Many of you were like that. She is a Canaanite. You know who, remember who the Canaanites were? When God, you know, went into the land, he brought them into the promised land, there was somebody there. But God said they are now squatters. I allowed them to be here. The Canaanites were in the original promised land. And you know how God let them be there for 400 years. And the reason that God then moved them out and said, now I'm replacing you and I'm bringing in the Jewish people into this land where you were is because specifically it said over and over and over again through all the you know, prophets, warnings, messages, they had four centuries to hear and figure it out. It, their, their idolatry, their worshiping, fallen angels, demons, and all this stuff uh, and, and then incorporated into their religion, the ancient Canaanites, you go to these mountains where there were the temple, basically prostitutes, but they were the religious girls. You go and you have relations with them, and then guess what happens? They get pregnant. So now you go home, and you find out, oh, you had a child, and you're like, what? I don't, that was up there worshiping my God, my goddess. I don't want to share my inheritance, my land with my sons from my wife or my daughters. So then what do we do with those kids? Well, that was conveniently incorporated into the religion. Oh, what you do, these gods and goddesses say, sacrifice them to me. So it trapped them into this cycle where they had stone images 
of Baal was the male version, Ashtart was the uh, female version, gods and goddesses who said, Go, come have all this immorality, then kids out of wedlock, but then these stone images would be heated up with fire until they were red hot. Then they took the babies that were conceived and they would put them on the arms of those altars where they were burned. And, and they did this for 400 years. God warned them over and over and over again. And finally, God said, I cannot take it anymore. My patience has come to an end. You have ruined your opportunity, and now I'm replacing you. And God's judgment came, and God brought in the Jewish people. That's who this woman's ancestors were. She was a Canaanite. She was probably raised to worship Ashtart, the, the female goddess. The fact that she is now coming to Jesus, a Jewish teacher and healer, indicates she had become disillusioned with her idols, disillusioned with the immorality of her culture, and that characterized her own religion. I wonder if that same girl had prayed to her gods, Ashtart, deliver my daughter, she's being tormented. And they never answered, they never delivered, they never, in fact, her daughter would get worse. So she is now forsaking publicly her gods and goddesses that had forsaken her and was turning to Jesus. That is the essence of repentance. And there are many today who, when they have cried out to their gods, because these gods, there's demons behind them, and they're real, and they are legitimate, they exist, they can do supernatural stuff, and they can give you power, they can give you, they make deals with you all the time. But finally, in your hour of greatest need, when you are imploding and crying out for them to have mercy on you, they laugh at you. In fact, I have a testimony of a man whom I knew who was into the occult. He was into all kinds of sexual, strange things, and he had real supernatural. He knew stuff before it would happen. Um, He saw the entities. And they had given him a lot of power. He was like very popular and people following. He's a guru and this and that. And then his life began to collapse and he began to go down and he was sinking. And, and fear, he said, the, the great, it was like I was going down into a deep, dark crevice from which I knew I would never come. And I saw the entities in the room. He saw these spirit entities and he screamed to them, help me, have mercy upon me. And as he looked at them and cried from the depths of his soul, help me, guess what he says he saw them doing? They started laughing hysterically in his face. Like, we're not going to help you. Don't you get it? We own you. We use you. We do what we want with you. We abuse you. And he was horrified to realize, so that's the deal I made? That's what happened to this woman. It was at that moment that he realized, and he had had a seed planted when he was little, Sunday school, uh, his mom or whatever had planted the, you know, the gospel, and he goes, I need Jesus, and he ran as hard and fast as he could, begging God's forgiveness, and he got saved and born again, and then God began to use him mightily. The same gifts he had used in the occult, he began now just walking in the Spirit, and the Lord used him mightily. That's, I think, what happened to this poor woman. And, you know, so it's amazing Uh, She went to the one that this guy has power to heal and to deliver, and he has love. And, you know, after all the irreverent treatment of the Lord by the scribes and Pharisees who called Jesus a drunk, a companion and friend of sinners, some even said he was demon-possessed, it must have been very refreshing for Jesus to hear such faith 
and reverence from this woman. Again, this woman loved her daughter more than her own life. She was willing to forsake all she had known and believed up to that point in her life, frankly, because everything she had believed and trusted in was not enough in her greatest hour of need. So she left her religion, she left her pagan family and friends, her false belief that had no power and no answers in her great hour of need, and she came directly to Jesus. And what does Jesus do? So we read in verse 23. Look with me in verse 23. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, send her away. For now she cries out after us. Jesus is not talking to her. And now the disciples, she comes to them, and they're like, ah, send her away. And in verse 24, but he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. How did this woman respond in verse 25? Then she came. I believe she fell and dropped to her knees and worshiped him, saying, Lord, help me. Here's what I want you to look at. Great faith. That's what Jesus said. This woman had great faith, will never give up. He answered her, not a word. Has this ever happened to you? You cry out to God, and you're in your hour of need, and you hear nothing. And it seems like nothing is there. And I've heard this, and I know this, and the stories have gone that people, wow, well, they judge God at that moment. They say, well, so you're all this big loving God. You're all powerful. You allowed this to happen. And then you didn't do anything, and I cried out to you, and I hear nothing. I do not hear a word. So if that's the way you are, I'm out. And they turn around, and they walk away from God. And while on a human level you might say that they are justified, I want you to note that is not what this woman did. She did not walk away. She, in fact, she said, I am not going anywhere. I have nowhere else to go. I'm going to you, and I know you, and I know your character and I am coming to you. And she falls to her knees, and she begins to worship him and cry out for mercy. Now, we know how this, I read you the story at the beginning. You know how it ends. Jesus is going to give her what she wanted. So I want you to know this. Jesus, know this. From the beginning, Jesus knew what he was going to do. Why did he wait Why does sometimes God wait for you and me? Why does he leave us with, I'm not hearing anything, I need you? Because the moment, at that moment, if we judge him and say, I thought you were like that, ah, you just got exposed. You don't have faith and trust in God or his character, you're using him. And, but if you're like this woman, no, there's nowhere else to go, and I know you, I know your character. And even though you won't say a word to me and the heavens are brass to me, I'm not going anywhere else. I'm staying here until you fulfill your character. So she would not give in. She would not give up. And that reminds me of the story, and I'm sure most of you know, the general thing when you're in school and you learn about World War II and Germany, and in particular the Nazis and the Third Reich and this evil, demonic thing that's taken over and threatening Europe. And there's little, you know, the, the island of Great Britain. And many of the people in politics were saying, throw up the white flag, surrender, 
Invite the Nazis in. Let Germany take us over because they were being bombed even in London day after day after day, pounded. But there was a man that stood up and that rose up. His name was Winston Churchill. And while the people are literally getting shaken and hiding down in the basements and bombs are coming down, he gave a speech. And in those days, you know, social media was the radio, and every family is hovering around the radio. What is our prime minister going to do? What's he going to say? Is he going to sue for peace? Is he going to throw up the white flag? Are the Germans taking over? Is Britain going to continue? What on? What's going to go on? And he gave this speech where he said, never give in. Never give in. Never, 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 never. In nothing great or small, large or petty, never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force. Never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. We are standing strong. We will not surrender. We will fight. And he stood his ground. And I'm telling you that the world would not be the same as it is. Not just Great Britain, but Europe and the West and the free world would not be the same had it not that God raised up a man who stood up and said, I'm not giving in to this evil demonic empire and we will fight. And they stood and they fought and they won. And we are free today because of that. So, I am when you look back at history sometimes, the giant doors of what happens often hang on tiny hinges of maybe a man, or in this case, her desperate, demon-possessed daughter, a woman who says, I will never give in. I will never give up. Jesus, I know you have the power, and I know you have the character, and I know no matter what you have said to me, you will hear my plea. There's a story in the Old Testament, a famous one you probably have all heard about Jacob. He's the guy that, there's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jacob is the guy whose name got changed to Israel, and the story behind that is he's wrestling with the Lord. That's the guy that became Israel. Israel represents people that wrestle with God. Well, God, I don't get this. I don't understand you and kind of trust in myself and I don't get you and they're wrestling it all out. So a heavenly man came and wrestled with him. It was literally physically him working out what's going on in his heart all night long with the heavenly man. The heavenly man beat him up all night long, won the whole night long. And finally in the morning, We find this verse, Genesis chapter 32, verse 26. Let's read this out loud together. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The first one is is this heavenly man, which by the way, most Bible commentators believe is none other than a theophany. It's Jesus an appearance of Jesus. Did you know that several times Jesus came before he came in Bethlehem? He came in a few stories in the Old Testament. This is one of them that Jesus wrestled with Jacob all night long. One, and then finally he goes, okay, look, dude, I beat you. Uh, It's daybreak. I got other stuff to do. But Jacob said, yeah, you beat me, but I will not let you go. He had his robe and he said, I'm not letting you go because I know where you came from. You're a divine man. You're a heavenly man. I'm not letting you go till you bless me. It was at that moment the man said, that's what he was waiting for. 
He was waiting for him to say, I won't let you go till you bless me. And because that brought out the faith. That's why God lets us go through stuff to find out if you really believe or if in your heart you really don't believe and you're just waiting to be able to accuse God. I knew you were like that. Well, you just revealed you never believed in him or trusted in him or his character. So these tests reveal who we really are and what we really believe. And this woman demonstrated it. Jacob demonstrated it. And guess what? The Lord blessed him and he says, your name is no longer Jacob. You are Israel, which means a prince with God. So I encourage some of you here this morning, rather than turning your back and running away and be angry and accusing God and revealing a heart that all the while has been of unbelief, you hang on, you stand in, you cling, you say, I'm not going nowhere and I'm not going to anybody else. I know who you are, I know your character, and I know you will vindicate me, and I know you will deliver what I need. Can I hear an amen on that? (laughs) Hallelujah. Okay, so we're going to close with this. Uh, verses 26 through 28. It says, But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. That sounds very callous. That's what the Jewish people would say. We're the you know, chosen people, and the Gentiles are like little dogs. Jesus knew that that's what uh, she had heard within her culture and everything. So he, he refers to that. And look what she comes up with. And again, Jesus knew what was in her heart. This is classic. And she said, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Boom. That was it. He struck gold. Then Jesus answered and said to her, oh, woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed, delivered from that very hour. I want you to know that one of Satan's greatest fears has to do with women of great faith. Jesus was drawing out this woman's great faith. Those are Jesus' words, not mine. Uh, Because of the work of Satan in her daughter's life was now defeated. And I want to just say in closing that one of Satan's great fears has to do with women, as strange as that might sound. Because what women of great faith can do to, uh, to the devil, to undermine him because of their faith in a great God, it constantly torments the devil. The roots of Satan's anxiety go to the very beginning, the whole story of the Garden of Eden, because that's when the devil received the ultimate threat of all time from God as part of his severe divine judgment. God made a threat to the devil, and he said, and I'm going to use a woman to do it, personally deliver it to you. God's threat is not idle, because if God, if God makes a threat, he is known to deliver on everything that he has ever said. So the first thing he does, he curses Satan, who's disguised as a serpent. Secondly, he lowers him by cutting off his feet. On your belly you shall go. Thirdly, he ruins his diet. You're going to eat dust for the rest of your days. And then, but if the, the grand finale was, and on top of it all, the very woman that you first deceived, I'm going to use her to knock your head off. So read with me Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Let's read it out loud. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. He threatens the devil with a woman by decreeing that her anger will forever 
Be focused on the devil. God announces, what he basically announces was, okay, devil in the garden, you won, but guess what? I'm calling for a rematch, and the next time, she's going to knock your head off, crush you, and defeat you. The seed of the woman will defeat Satan, whose head will be crushed and killed and destroyed, while the seed of the woman's heel will be uh, bruised. That's the cross. He took the cross. That's the bruising of the heel. But the resurrection is when the Lord, through the seed of the woman, destroyed and crushed Satan's head for all time and eternity. Hallelujah. Obviously, God is speaking of the coming Messiah, Jesus. But the fact that female anger, he says there's going to be anger between the devil and the woman. And the fact that it's focused on the devil occupies a huge part of God's threat. That means women have a significant role. And this is why God uses it to frame the first messianic prophecy. The devil has worked overtime to twist this and to say that the devil has an easier time with women to push them down, to suppress them, take advantage of them, and use them and abuse them and make them fearful of him. And what I want my sisters to hear and to know this morning, nothing could be further from the truth. The fact of the matter is, it is the devil who has to watch out for women who have great faith because it's women of great faith that knock his head off and crush him and defeat him once and for all. The devil should be afraid of you. When you have great faith and say, I'm with him, and I will never let him go, come what may. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. And I just want to close by saying that God is doing something even now among the women. In fact, there's a prophecy in one of the Psalms that says, in the last days, a great company of women was heard. And I am telling you, we're living in a time where it's like to me, who lived, if you're a younger millennial young man or woman, you don't know because you maybe weren't there, weren't even born yet, but the 60s were, we thought the wheels were coming off the bus. I mean, seriously. Assassinations, politics, divided, killing people, it's, you know, uh, the president, John F. Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, Martin Luther King, they're shooting kids at Kent State and university campuses, the Vietnam War is tearing the nation apart. It's like, oh my gosh, we're losing everything. And out of that chaos came the Jesus revolution, the Jesus revival, the Jesus people. We're in similar times. I think we are ripe on the edge of a Jesus movement. And a big part, a big part of that, and you listen to me, this is a word from the Lord to all of my sisters here. And us guys and brothers, we need you now in this hour Not to be intimidated and afraid of that. Hey, the devil's afraid of you. I want you to know that, especially when you have great faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You get on your knees. You beg for mercy. You will see heaven respond to the earth in a way like you've never seen before. He will knock the devil down and back, and we will be delivered, and we will run into the arms of the Lord in a mighty and powerful way. Amen? (laughs) 